wanted to show you that story today because today we're talking about how God's amazing grace is for all, right? No matter what's going on, doesn't matter how far you've gone, God's grace is for all people. And one of the, and, and the way, not just one of the ways, the way that Christ has chosen to per- perpetuate this amazing grace to the entire world, to all people, is you and me. You and me. One of my favorite things that I, that I heard in Shannon's story was that she came here and she met her best friends. She met a family. She felt love from people that she never knew or never had experienced before. And that was all because somebody and some people and a group of people said yes to being, being people that God's grace can flow through, that God's grace can be administered through, that God's grace can be used through. See, God doesn't just want things for you. He wants to use you in a powerful way. God's grace for all happens when we say yes to him. And so Christ's chosen method of perpetuating this amazing grace to the entire world is you and me, the church. But to accomplish this task, to be a church that is outwardly focused, right? We can't just be all about us. It can't be inward. It can't be me, me, me. We, if, if we do that, we'll die through the sin of preference and the sin of just inwardness and selfishness. So we can't do that. We want to be a church that's outwardly focused, to be a people who have grace for all. There are some things that we need to understand. And we're going to talk about, and they just so happen to be three C's today. And that's how preachers do it, if, if you haven't learned so far. We're going to talk about the commission. We're going to talk about the cost. And then we're going to talk about the crown. But listen, have you ever been a, given a job in life that you were completely ill-equipped to do? Ever? Have you ever shown up in the job and like totally unsure if you were going to succeed? I get a kick out of torturing my kids. Any dad, dads out there like that? In a good way. In a good way. I get a, I get a kick out of nudging my kids into uncomfortable situations that they don't want to be in, right? You know, for instance, you know, if we pull up to a store and, and we just need to know something and we need to ask a question real quick, uh, instead of me going in to ask the question, I'll make them go. Hey, go ask them such and such and such and report back. And a lot of times they're like, what? You want me to go and talk to another person, Right? And this amazing fear grips them and they're like, me? Right? And they feel completely ill-equipped. But I love getting them outside of their comfort zone and making them do things like that. Or if they need something from a teacher or like they need to know something about class schedule or something and they're asking me, what do I say? Hey, get on your Chromebook and email your teacher. Or go up to them after class and actually talk to them. I know this is revolutionary, but this is the tension my kids feel. It's like they're asking for something that is complete. I'm asking for something that's completely doable, but in the kids' eyes, they feel completely ill-equipped to do what I'm asking them to do. I've even met some adults that won't talk on the phone anymore. Are you one of them? Right? They're like, you want me to talk on the phone to another person? I, I met a, a lady in her 50s a few years ago that was like, I will not talk on the phone. If you want to talk, she, she literally told me, I will not 
answer the phone when you call. If you want to talk to me, text me. And I'm like, and I'm like, the teenagers tell me that, but I'm not used to you, t- you know, you know, somebody that's older than me telling me that. But we do this. If we, if we don't feel equipped, if we don't feel comfortable, if we don't feel like we can do it, we just don't do it. I love that commercial. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's the guy teaching the young people how to not, you know, turn out like their parents. And, and he has them around a computer and he says, okay, now we're going to open a PDF. And, and all of them are like, oh, no. I don't want to open a PDF. And it's like this, and maybe you with technology, you're like that. You get in front of that computer and you're like, I have no idea. What am I going to do with this thing? And sometimes you meet a challenge and you're ready for it. You know, sometimes when people meet a challenge, they're like all about it. For me, like when I, it comes time to plan vacation, I get into like go mode. And I go, I jump, and it's like a game for me. I'm going to find the best stuff at the best price and I'm going to beat everybody to it. And so it's like research mode, and I'm like, man, I'm going to beat this challenge, and I'm going to overcome it. But sometimes, if we're honest, we come up against a dream or a problem or a challenge or a command or a job that's been given to us, and we are utterly and completely ill-equipped. We don't know if we're going to succeed. We don't know if we're going to survive. We don't know if we're going to get fired. We don't know if we're going to get, you know, through it. And it's even heavier when like the weight of our kids' future is on whether we succeed or not or the weight of our, um, you know, ability to provide is connected to that. But Jesus showed up in our lives and he gave us a job. He gave us a job. Have your parents ever walked in to you and said, I gave you one job, right? I gave you one job and and. Really, we could boil down what Jesus said to us to two things. Love God with all your heart and go and tell the Great Commission. And so the first thing we'll talk about today is the commission. Remember, we're we're supposed to have grace for all. And one of the primary ways that Jesus shows grace to the world is through what he did on the cross, but also through your life the church. And so he gave us this commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He said, Jesus came and told, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Drop the mic, right? There's a couple things I want to point out here. Because a lot of times we hear that and we're like, okay, we're supposed to go and tell. But there's some nuggets here that we want to camp on for a little bit before we move on. Number one, he met with the disciples. Jesus came to them and he told them. He met them. And, and this, this particular encounter, it wasn't just the 12 disciples. It was very likely up to 500 people that came to meet him on the mount. And, and so uh, he had already appeared to his disciples, the 11 that were remaining, because remember Judas had betrayed him. And so he had already appeared to them over the past uh, 40 days or so. And, and this was right before he's ascending into heaven. And so he meets the disciples on the mountain and very likely 
uh, many others came to hear. And so just imagine this big group. And so he wasn't just telling the disciples. Somebody, some people are like, oh, he was just telling those 12 disciples because they're going to go and change the world. No, he was telling the church, the body of Christ, the people who believed. And so he was entrusting all of us with this commission. And so he met with the disciples on the mountain. Aren't you glad if you have encountered Jesus that he met with you? Because encounters with Jesus change everything. You can't meet Jesus, be confronted with what he did for you and never be the same. You have to do something with it. When you hear that Christ, the, the God of all creation, the one that spoke and, and the whole entire universe was created, he left his throne in heaven, came to earth, lived a sinless life, died for you and for me on a cross, rose again on the third day. You can't hear that and then just go on like you never heard it. Because when you meet Jesus, you'll never be the same. Even if you reject it, you did something with Jesus. You see, when you hear the message, when you hear what Christ has done with you, you have to do something with it. A lot of times, just like when, when our parents, when we were little, gave us commands, we just want to be like, nah, 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 and act like we didn't hear it. My kids do that. It's like, hey, do this. And it's like, they just think if they don't make eye contact, then it'll all just go away. But when you meet Jesus, you can never shake it again. You get to accept or deny. Got two choices. And so I'm so glad that Jesus met with me, that he took the time. There's old song that says, when he was on the cross, he saw me. Love that thought. That when he's suffering, when he's dying, I was on his mind, you were on his mind. See, he has that capacity that every single person that's ever walked to the face of the planet was on his mind. He met with me. And he didn't just meet with them there. He gave them commands. You know, if you read on in Acts chapter 1, he told, the, he told his disciples, hey, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. So not only did he meet with them there on the mountain before he ascended, but he said, hey, you're going to have another meeting. You're going to meet with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be endued with power from on high to do exactly what I'm telling you to do. You see, Jesus wants to meet with you. And not just a one-time meeting when you accept Christ. He wants to meet with you every day. The Bible says his mercies are new for you every single day. Jesus wants to meet with you. Being a pastor uh, for almost uh, 20 years now, I... A lot of times people are like, people come to me and said, I tried to meet with the pastor, but he won't meet with me. And to which I say, hey, guess what? I've got a schedule, pastor has a schedule, and it's limited. It's finite. But Jesus, he will always have time for you. He will always be able to meet with you whenever you call. Isn't that a good thing? Number two, Jesus assured them of his power. He assured them of his power. Before you embark on this journey, you better know how powerful your God is. Before you say yes to the commission that Christ has given you and me, you better know how powerful your God is. You better know that he's big, that he's strong, and your view of him better be always expanding. Because if your view of God is not always expanding, then the moment that you, that you face a giant, you will fall. Because you're not facing the giants of this life and you're not facing the giants that are going to come because you're not equipped to do the decommission with your own power. You need to be assured of Jesus' power in your life. 
The third thing that Jesus did was he commissioned them to do something very specific. He commissioned them to make disciples. He basically said, do what I did with you. Do what I did with you. What did he do? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Over and over he said, this is what I came to do. The the healthy don't need a doctor. The sick people do. He came to heal the sick, not just physically, but spiritually. He sought the lost and those who were willing to commit their lives to him. And when he found such a person that was willing to say, hey, I was lost, but you found me, Jesus. Once he found a person like that, he saved that person. And when Christ found a person who was willing to commit his life, Christ attached himself to that person. And they became what? A disciple. Christ began to mold and make that person into his image. The the word attach is key. You know, discipleship, we might as well just say attachment. That when you become a disciple, you attach yourself to Jesus. You attach yourself to people that are going to help you grow up and to look like Jesus. It's probably the best word that describes discipleship. So maybe when you just think discipleship, you think attachment. I'm attached to the hip to Jesus. I'm attached to the hip at the hip to the people in my life group that are helping me grow up and be like Jesus. Christ made disciples of men by attaching himself to them. And through that personal attachment, they were able to observe his life. They were able to observe his conversation. And in seeing and in hearing, they begin to absorb and assimilate his very character and behavior. That is deep. Sometimes people say, I just, I want to go deeper. You want to go deeper? Attach yourself to Jesus. Be like Jesus. Just be like him. Just do it. It's simple and it's the deepest thing you'll ever do. And so he commissioned them to do what he did for them. Number four, he gave the promise of his presence, the Holy Spirit, right? The promise of his presence. He said, I'm going to be with you. Wherever you go, always, I will never leave you. The Holy Spirit that he promised is going to give them two things, the power to witness and the power to live a godly life, which, by the way, is also a godly witness. You see, witnessing isn't just when you speak and tell somebody about Jesus. It's when you do the right thing. It's when people see your life, and when they watch your life, they have a front row seat to what God wants to do in their life. So what did the Holy Spirit do? Power to witness and power to live a, 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 God, a godly life. Power to live a life worthy of the calling that we received. And so this is what Jesus did. This is the commission. We meet with Jesus. We're assured of his power. We do what Jesus did. And how do we do it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the commission. This is what Jesus has called us to do. The second thing that we need to remember, though, if we're going to have grace for all people because God's grace is flowing through us, and we know that we're ill-equipped and we need Jesus' help, we've got to remember that, number two, there's a cost. There's a cost. The Apostle Paul embodies the cost, I think, better than any other human besides Jesus did. Jesus paid the cost. He paid the ultimate cost. He bore the cross, just like that song we sang. He spilled his blood. His body was broken. There's a cost in following Christ. Paul, the Apostle, was constantly defending the gospel and himself. He endured hardship. He had to be into pleasing God, not people. You see, if you're not willing to pay the cost of 
not pleasing people, it'll be really hard to be a disciple of Christ. We see Paul giving his time, his energy, his talent, and his resources all for the cause of Christ. You see, life on earth is a test. God could have just created you and taken you straight to heaven, but he wanted to test your faithfulness. He, want, he gives you a few things like opportunities and relationships, and he puts these things in your care. And then he says, let's see what you can do with them. If you're faithful with a little, then he can trust you with all of his riches and all of his power and all of his glory and for all of eternity in heaven. Listen to what, sec- what, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 through 33. Just picture this. This is the cost that Paul paid for the cause of Christ. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. And all you moms in the house with the little babies, say amen. I've gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Remember when I said we feel ill-equipped to do what God has called us to do? Here's Paul saying, I'll boast in the things that show my weakness, how ill-equipped I am. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Eratos had the city of Damascus, Damascus, uh, Damascus guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from the window in the wall and slipped through his hands. What an amazing picture into the life of Paul and the crazy adventures that he went on, right? And I'm not even, I'm not even sure adventure is a word. Adventure gives us a sense of like, man, this is gonna be kind of fun. That does not sound like fun. And yet Paul is saying, I'm gonna boast of the things that show my weakness. And so the cost is great. And I, I'd venture to say that not a one of us in the room has ever faced even an inkling of what Paul went through. And yet, what, what did Paul say when we endure the cost a little bit later in the next, in, in, or actually in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. My grace is all you need. My power, remember, how do we have grace for all? by being a conduit of God's grace, by paying the cost, by enduring the hardships, by enduring the suffering with your head held high, you square that chest and you say, I'm going through because God's grace is gonna be shown through me when I'm weak. When you pay the cost and you endure the pain, whatever that looks like in your context, God's grace is gonna show through your life for all to see. His grace in you 
will, will allow you to perpetuate God's grace for all through you. Acts 20, 20 through, 22 through 24, another just amazing insight into Paul's life. He says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know, and get this, underline this next part. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He's a conduit of God's grace. You see, grace isn't just about, oh God, thank you for for giving me what I don't deserve. Grace is how you proclaim his greatness to the world. Because when you're weak, he's strong. When you shouldn't be standing up under the circumstances you're standing up under, you're standing. When you shouldn't be enduring, you're enduring. When you shouldn't be able to take another step, you're stepping. You're paying the cost. Paul was aware not of, of not only the past tension that he had gone through, but he was aware of the future tension as well. In every city, he, he knew that imprisonment and pain was coming. But what did he do? I'm going anyway. I'm going anyway. Jesus was aware of his coming pain in the Garden of Gethsemane when he sweat drops of blood, when he knew he was going to the cross for you and for me. And what did he do? He went anyway. He was willing to pay the cost for you and for me. On Palm Sunday, they loved him. On Good Friday, they killed him. And he knew it was coming, and he went anyway because he wasn't into people pleasing. He was into people loving and giving them grace. And that's what he's called you and me to as well. So what does this mean for me? What does this mean in your life, in your life in America, where we don't go through a lot of this stuff? I think the number one challenge for you and for me is dying to pleasing people and coming alive to please Christ and only him. You see where there's no tension in your life, when there's no tension between the two things, when everything is so comfortable, your character is not being refined. Where there is no tension, there is no growth, right? Just like the seed has to break through the soil, just like the body has to break down muscles to build up new muscle. There has to be a little tension in your life. And so I would, I would venture to say that there's, if there's not a little tension, a little pain or suffering in some area of your life, are you growing? Are you paying the cost? Are you sharing in the sufferings of Christ? Don't become struggle averse in your following of Christ. Because if you want to be a disciple and you want to be like Jesus, there's probably going to be a little pain. Raise your pain tolerance Be somebody that says, hey, bring it on. Following Christ does not mean the absence of suffering. Following Christ means that you have the grace to endure. And so don't be surprised when there's a little pain in the journey. I love what Dr. J. Robert Clinton says, never trust a leader who doesn't walk with a limp. Isn't that good? Never trust a leader who doesn't walk with a limp, who's carrying the burden. It's not a bad thing to carry a burden if you're carrying it with Christ. I love what Sam Chan says. He says, you'll you'll grow only to the threshold of your pain. If you're not hurting, you're not leading. Your vision for the future has to be big enough to propel you to face the heartaches and struggles you'll find along the way. Man, that's good. 
underline that, think about that, journal on that this week. Your vision of the future has to be big enough to propel you to face the heartaches and the struggles you'll find along the way. What was Jesus' vision of the future? You, forgiven, restored, redeemed, full of life, changed through the power of the gospel. His vision of the future was big enough to propel him through the pain. Amen. So if we say yes to the commission, go, make disciples, follow me. If we pay the cost, if we say, Jesus, wherever you want to take me, whatever you want to do in my life, wherever you want me to go, the Bible is so incredibly clear that you will receive a crown, a reward. Paul talks about it in Philippians 3.14. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Amen? There's a prize, there's a reward at the end. We have rewards in this life, a new identity, purpose. We're gonna start talking about that next week. And so invite your friends to Easter. We're gonna start a new series called Chasing Purpose. We're gonna answer these big questions of life. Why in the world am I here, right? And this is a gift in this life that we get purpose for now. We have a reason for living, but man, there's gonna be rewards in eternity like you can't imagine. Eternal rewards though are connected with what you do in the here and now. And you'll see it through these next few scriptures. What is your crown gonna look like if you say yes to the commission and the cost and you're willing to pay the cost? The Bible says that you'll receive the victor's crown. In 1 Corinthians 9.25, it says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is the crown that is given when we have self-discipline, when we have endurance, when we say I'm gonna win the, the race no matter the cost. So there's a cost, but there's a reward. The Bible talks about the crown of rejoicing, or it's also called the soul winner's crown. In 1 Thessalonians 2.19, it says, after all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown? As we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns, it is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. Now, this isn't just my job. Each and every single one of you have been given a commission and, and, and you have, can look forward to be able to stand before Christ someday and you're gonna put on this soul winner's crown and be able to look at other people standing around you and what is my crown? It's you and you and you and you and you, all the people that you've led to Christ, all the people that are in heaven and not hell because of your influence. Why? Because you said yes to the commission and yes to the cost. And you'll have this crown of rejoicing Bible talks about a crown of righteousness. In 2 Timothy 4.8, it says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his, his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. The crown of righteousness, doing the right thing, 
living an upright life, remaining holy. The Bible says that you'll receive a crown of life. James 1.12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Every time you're tempted, every time you're pulled away, Satan dangles that bait in front of you. Every time you just feel like you can't hold on and you feel like you can't stand up under it, you get a vision of that crown, the crown of life that Jesus is waiting to give to those that say no to temptation. They say, I won't give in. Why? Because my vision of the future is big enough to propel me through the pain of the present. The Bible says that you're going to receive a crown of life. Lastly, the Bible says that we'll receive a crown of glory. This is for the pastors, the shepherds, the small group leaders, those who lead. And I believe we got some leaders in this room. I believe we have leaders in this room that have not stepped into their leadership gift yet. I believe we have pastors in this room who've not yet stepped into their pastoring gift yet. I believe that we have people that are going to make enormous difference for the kingdom of God through leadership that have not said yes to the call yet. In 1 Peter 5, 2 and 4, it says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. And when the chief shepherd appears. Think of that day, church. Man, as your pastor, I know that my shepherding for you is about this effective compared to how his shepherding for you will be and is. You see, I get to be a, a, just a, a glimpse in your life of the love and care that Christ has for you. But when you say yes to leading people and to making a difference in their life and pastoring people, by the way, you don't need a title to pastor people. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Your vision of the future, not in this life, but in the next, has got to be big enough to propel you through what's happening in your present. The question is, is it? What's your vision of the future look like right now? Are you just trying to make it today? Are you just trying to get through this week? Are you just trying to get through this year? Some of you young moms, you just want some sleep at night. Some of you dads, you're overworked, you're overspent. You're like, man, Joe, you want me to lead my kids to Christ? I can't even, I can't even lead myself right now. What are you feeling? couple things. You need to meet with Jesus. Have an encounter with Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Get a new vision of the future. And when you meet the costs and you meet the, meet the challenges, you see, I don't believe Jesus comes into your life to make your life easier. He comes into your life to give you life. And as he gives you life, you have everything you need to meet the challenges of today. And you lock your eyes 
on your future reward. You lock your eyes on your future destination. You lock your eyes on the crown of life and the crown of rejoicing and the crown of glory that Christ is going to look you in the eye and place on your head when you remain faithful to him. This is good news, church. How is God going to show his grace for all? One, he did it on the cross. He did it through the empty grave. And now he's doing it through you. Are you going to answer the calling, what he's called you to do? One question that matters more than any other question in your whole entire life, and this is what Jesus is going to ask you when you stand before him someday. What did you do with my son Jesus? What did you do with Jesus personally? Did you accept him as your Lord and Savior? Did you, for the world, what did you do with Jesus for the world? Did you answer the commission? Did you pay the cost? Did you invite your neighbor to Easter? Did you invite your coworker, your family that needs to hear the good news of Christ? Did you tell that person your story when God asked you, asked you to? Did you live right? Did you live in such a way to provide a good example to those around you? Did you accept him? If you could bow your heads and close your eyes today, if you just say, Joe, man, maybe you're sitting there and saying, this, this sermon is kind of a kick in the gut today. That, man, I've, I'm gonna pay a cost and Jesus has plans for me and I'm not sure I'm equipped. Well, the first step is accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you wanna say, Jesus, come, I want, you, I want to make you the Lord of my life. I wanna make you my everything. I wanna follow you. If that's you today and, and, and you've realized it's time for you to surrender your life to Christ and you wanna do that right now, just raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you today. Amen. Just raise your hand. Say yes to Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much, those of you that raised your hands. If you just want to pray a simple prayer right at your seat, it can sound just like this. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I recognize my need for you. I confess I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for me, that you rose again from the grave. Come into my heart. I want to live for you the rest of the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You pray that prayer. You believe it in your heart. The Bible says that there's a party going on in heaven right now for you. Amen. Let's give a big hand for all those that accepted Christ today. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Joe, I need to say yes to the commission. I said yes to Jesus and I love Jesus, but I have not yet say I have not yet said yes to the commission to make disciples. And I don't I don't want to just be a what's in it for me believer. I want to be a conduit of God's grace for a hurting and dying world, just like Jesus asked me to be. And so I'm gonna pray a prayer in closing. And if that's you and you say, I wanna I wanna say yes to the commission. Just raise your hand and let's pray together today. God, I thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and dying in our place. Thank you that you rose again on the third day. And thank you that you gave us purpose and a mission. And Jesus, we just pray that as we live this life, we say yes to you and the commission that you've given us to make disciples. God, help us to not shrink back from the cost. 
Help us to be filled with power, filled with your Holy Spirit power so that when we do endure pain, when we do endure suffering, God, we won't shrink back, but we will press through because we're filled with power from on high. Thank you, Jesus, for your power. And God, we look forward to our heavenly reward. We look forward to that day when we stand face to face with you and we can confidently look you in the eye and say, Jesus, I said yes to you. I did what you asked me to do. I didn't always feel equipped. I didn't always feel ready. I didn't always feel like I had it in me, but I said yes anyway. Thank you, Jesus, that we had that reward to look forward to. In Jesus' name.